and welcome to part two on what is a parable. So if you remember the story in 2 Samuel 11, we have the story of David, Bathsheba, and Uriah. And I'm going to summarize it, not read the whole thing. But um, So it happened in the spring of the year, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So normally the king, if he's going on a conquest in the spring of the year, the time when kings go forth to battle, David's supposed to be going with his army to go conquer the Ammonites. But David just sends his generals and he relaxes in Jerusalem and takes his time. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from the couch and was walking upon the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And then David sent and inquired, found out it was Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers and he took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house. So he should have been out going to war. He's the king. He's in Jerusalem. Bathsheba's taking a bath on the roof. Okay. That which would imply like she knew she was in eyeshot of the palace. And then we have David committing, you know, adultery with the wife of Uriah. And Uriah is one of his officers. Then she returned to her house, and then all of a sudden, uh, Bathsheba conceived and says, I am with child. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Uriah came to him. I'm going to summarize. This story is amazing, and I, I recommend it's it's amazing, and it's it's terrible, but it's a, it's a really crazy story. Uriah uh, comes back to the king, and David tries to get Uriah to go home and sleep with, sleep with his wife. So that, you know, uh, that Bathsheba can, uh, you know, say, oh, well, this is actually Uriah's child and not David's. You know, no one knows of the adultery yet except for David and Bathsheba. But Uriah doesn't do it. He won't go back home when his compatriots are still fighting war. He says, I'm not going to go home and relax and be with my wife when my compatriots are fighting war. So David fails to do that. So David sends a letter with, with, um, Uriah. So David seals a letter, gives it to Uriah and says, Uriah, deliver this letter to Joab, the head of the army. And so Uriah takes the letter to Joab and the letter on the inside of the letter, it has information where David says to to Joab, I want you to put Uriah on the front lines of the battle. And when the fighting gets fierce to withdraw all the troops except for Uriah so that Uriah gets cut down. Joab does this, and Uriah is killed by David's um, by 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 David's letter. Basically, so ironic. He would he would send Uriah with the letter that would bring his death, and Joab would do it. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she made lamentation for her husband. When the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Yeah, no, <laughs> uh, no wonder. Um, so we have this story of great corruption of David and he thinks he can get away with it. You know, then the Lord sends Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city. So Nathan, the prophet sent by God to David, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he bought. And he brought it up and it grew with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. 
but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come against come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. Okay, so the story, two men, one rich, one poor. Rich man had everything he could possibly want. The poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb. And it's it's kind of weird. He took the ewe lamb. It grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat from his table, drink from his cup, lie in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. Like he cared about this ewe lamb quite a lot. And then all of a sudden, a traveler comes to the rich man and he says, hey, I'm going to go take this poor man's one little ewe lamb. So David's anger is greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So <laughs> uh, David's judgment's a bit harsh. Um, you can imagine, you know, I mean, it's, it's a bad story, obviously. Rich man, poor man. Poor man really loves this one lamb. It's a little overkill in terms of his love for the one new lamb. You know, it's sitting at his bosom. It's, you know, all this type of stuff. And the fact that the rich man would take the poor man's lamb, like, you know, there needs to be restitution. There needs to be justice done. But, you know, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. I mean, that's a bit overkill. But anyways, David's not thinking straight anyways. He's uh, not repentant yet. Nathan said to David, thou art the man. You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed, you, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom. And I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have smitten Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have slain him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the, short, the sword shall not depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child that is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house and the child that Uriah's wife bore became sick and uh, the child died on the seventh day. Okay, lot to this story. Now, why do I bring this up? Um, this is one of the prime instances of a parabole, a parable in the Old Testament. And I, and I want this to serve as the reason why Jesus shifts to parables. And I, I want for our, you know, the listener to understand here that parables are not meant as kind of nice, loose, fun stories. Like Jesus would speak plainly, and he has previously in Matthew's gospel, to the people who already believe in him. But now that the opposition has reached this level, he needs to speak in parables. Why does Nathan speak in parables to David? Well, he basically gets David to condemn himself by basically making a uh, a story that's thrown beside, right? You know, it applies directly to David and his story of taking Uriah has one, you know, his wife, Uriah is just fighting for David and all of a sudden not only is Uriah killed, but his wife is taken by David by the king. And so this story is condemning David and David condemns himself. We'll actually see this in one of the parables that Jesus tells about the um, the tenants of the vineyard later in, I, I believe it's Matthew 26. 
the Pharisees actually condemned themselves in that parable. Um, so it's going to, it's going to reach a fever pitch, but we're going to see parables throughout Matthew's gospel from here on out. So if I could summarize the reason why Jesus is doing parables in Matthew 13 and onward for the rest of Matthew's gospel is because the opposition to his teaching is of a level that he needs to now basically be using these stories that for people of faith, they can look at them and understand the deeper meaning of what he's trying to convey because they can read the signs of the times. They're they're ones who can, you know, hear and perceive. They're ones with eyes to understand. And he'll explain the parables a lot of times to the disciples so that they do understand. But to those who will not understand, to those who are corrupt, the parables will, will remain unintelligible. So what Christ is saying will not strike them. And what Jesus quotes here is the prophecy of Isaiah, <clears throat> where it says, you shall indeed hear, but never understand. This people's heart has grown dull. Their ears are heavy of hearing. This is in Matthew 13, when they ask, why are you doing parables? And this is a quotation from Isaiah 6. And it's the uh, it's the mission of Isaiah. <laughs> um you know, if you were a prophet, a lot of the prophet's missions were not very fun. You know, it wasn't like, you know, Jonah's uh, mission as a prophet was to go preach repentance to the one kingdom that's about to destroy Israel. Jeremiah's prophet, you know, his pro- prophetic mission was to tell Jerusalem that they're corrupt and they're going to be invaded by the Babylonians. Isaiah's prophetic mission was to say to the people of Israel, Hear and hear, but do not understand. See and see, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people fat and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So basically, you're going to speak all these prophecies, Isaiah, and no one's going to listen to you and no one's going to care. (laughs) And the more words you preach, the more condemnation is going to be brought because they're not perceiving even the words that you say. Then Isaiah said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without men and the land is utterly desolate and the Lord removes men far away and the forsaken pieces places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Okay, so he's going to keep prophesying until cities lies waste without inhabitant and houses without men and the land is utterly desolate. Yeah, so the corruption that is present in Israel, Isaiah is going to preach against with his prophecies that are going to be unintelligible to the corrupt, but they're going to be understandable to those who have eyes to hear and ears to see. And so for Jesus using the purpose of parables is he's preaching these things to the believers and those with eyes to see will see and those who don't will not. Um, there's also a quotation from Psalm 78. Um, I can't get into it too much now, but it says, give, give ear, O my people to my teeth.